let it be known in the spirit of community and friendly competition in pursuit of well-being in body, mind, and soul. The good people of New Orleans do form a union and league among those of us who share in the love for the great game of baseball. Played in the streets and grass and dirt of this crescent city for at least 156 years, baseball, as of late a spectator sport, is a game meant to be lived and breathed by the people. That's the opening paragraph of the People's Baseball League Manifesto. Welcome to Sandlot Social Club. I'm Adam, your host. I play baseball with the Cap City Cobras in Austin, Texas. My guest this episode is Nick Schmidt, the commissioner of the PBL and a middle infielder for the Fifth Ward Weebies. Founded in 2017, the New Orleans-based co-ed adult league is very much intentionally run to be baseball for human beings. But what exactly does that mean? I recently went to New Orleans to watch some games, talk to Nick, and find out. In the first half of this conversation, he and I take in a classic and chaotic PBL matchup between the Crete Street Riot and Gentilly Giants at Larry Gilbert Stadium while discussing the mission and traditions of the league. Then, in part two, we catch up over the phone and venture even deeper into the question of what it means to assert that the game of baseball belongs to the people. I know that you're a Cardinals fan. Diehard. A diehard Cardinals fan. And that you grew up loving the Cardinals. How did you become a Cardinals fan? Before I had conscious memories, I was a Cardinals fan. Yeah. The first game I can remember was against the Pittsburgh Pirates in 1994 or something like that. But no, it's just always... It's always been there. Never been, really been a question, you know? Yeah. That's like asking me when I when I was baptized, you know? It's like, well, I didn't have much choice in the matter. My dad always tells me I was uh, playoffs on the radio were mm-hmm. uh, my earliest oral sensations, I guess. The soothing sounds of baseball put you to sleep. I guess so. The PBL is a league that's been around for since, what, 2016? 20, 2017 officially. 2017 officially. In the pickup form of 2016, of which I have had no experience or affiliation. You came in. So I like to deny its existence. Those are just a bunch of scrubs playing baseball on a little league field. Can you tell me a little bit about how it formed from from going from those scrubs on a little league field to uh, yes. the league that it uh, is now? Pacific Coast Hardball League must receive their shout out. Yeah. Adam Cronenberg, the founder and first commissioner had experience and knowledge of that league and then decided at some point to start one of his own out here in New Orleans. And um, those pickup games, which were only two teams all through 2016, and they would mix up their rosters every weekend over that next winter going into the spring of 2017, um, expanded into four official teams uh, that played in a scheduled season of games, including a, a round of playoffs in October. By all accounts, it was a re- resounding success, um, if not fiscally at least socially. We calling that foul? Dang. Damn. Do you think s- these teams sitting in the same dugout might um, lead to some incidental uh, temper flare, you know? Mm. A little- 
I don't know. I've never, I, as I said earlier, I've there never seen it. There's an argument with an umpire where they're both coming from the same dugout. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is er, vintage PBL. Early. This is this is a throwback night, so they decided to play in the same dugout. Yeah. yeah. The Gentilly Giants and the Creed Street Riot playing in the same dugout and arguing at the umpire from the same direction. <laughs> yeah. Why even involve the umpire? They could just uh, settle it themselves, reach a consensus, and then go with that. Are these original teams that were there in the beginning? No, the Giants are actually our, uh, our newest team. Huh? Oh, fuck. Oh, what a play. Way out. He was out. Look at that. Every Crete Street Riot member is paired with a Gentilly Giant member <laughs> arguing. They get to have, each has, the gets to have their own little argument, and then they sit in each other's laps. Yeah. <laughs> totally out, though. Yeah, he was very That's out. A, yeah. So the nice hit. This is an exciting, exciting Good end shot. of the game. Oh my god! Oh, see it's again, one. again, again. That's like the sixth ball. Somebody that, like a slowly roll well, through somebody somebody's legs in the outfield. Somebody hit a bunch of banana peels out the outfield. So the league has this this ethos and and this kind of culture that it's created that starts with this proclamation of like we will play baseball. But I was hoping that you could tell me a little bit about the, the way the league thinks about that or way you think about that. Yeah, I mean it's it's my core belief that baseball is an artifact of human culture as legitimate and important as any art or music or literary experience and we exert our right to have that time together out here on this field in between um you know what otherwise days spent engaging in wage slavery or other forms of tedious existence mm -hmm. i mean i think that's one of the things that draws me to your league i like it a lot because of its origins in in that thinking there's a lot of times you got to make decisions where tons of pros and cons to, and it's it's really nice to have that mission statement authored by Gabriel Goldstein just as sort of a guiding light you know like that's I literally just go back to that mm -hmm. anytime anything is remotely ambivalent you know there, there is like a specific goal of what we're trying to do out here yeah not just baseball for baseball players but like baseball for human beings you know like that's the goal here and if you've never had a chance to play the game in adulthood or play the game at all yeah. you know like we want you to be a part of what we're doing out here in some ways, I feel like I only really started playing baseball last year. Whoa. Do you know what I mean by that? I, I, I believe it, but I want to hear why you think that. Well, until I started playing baseball as an adult, whenever I had played baseball, with the exception of the handful of times that I played in a self-organized fashion with my friends, which wouldn't have even been baseball. It would have been some form of wiffle ball or stick ball. Oh, you're, you're being literal. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought what? you were talking about it like an emotional or no, spiritual no, no, rebirth. No. But but I You're I, a born again baseball. I'm a born again baseballist. No, I but I, I a little bit of that, I guess in the sense that like I played then or I played when I played Little League, I was playing in an institution or so I was involved in these systems right. that yep. that I thought I was playing baseball, but I wasn't playing baseball. I was on this on a, a baseball escalator. So when I look back on playing baseball as a kid, I see all the ways in which those things were impacting me and essentially undermining my play and then eventually just removing it completely. And so I start to play again as an adult and it just, it, it's a totally different feeling now, experience. Let me ask you this though. Do you think that maybe your negative recollection of baseball, youth baseball, do you think that's a sort of a, like a culturally universal state of nature problem for any youth in any society playing the, the sports on offer or do you can you identify a specific faults in the institutions that you were a part of that made it less of a like less, less escalator like you yeah know? <laughs>
Um, like, is the question, do I think that there's something sort of innate about Well, I guess, it? honestly, maybe I'm kind of leading you there. Maybe here's my question. Why did you stop once it wasn't Little League anymore? Well, I didn't. I played in high school. But I, I think of those as the institutions, too. I also had health problems, body problems in high school, playing baseball and injuries. And so I, I do think that some of what I ponder when I consider my experience then was a sort of lack of a, one, a lack of awareness of the, my body and what it can do and can't do and, and the way it should feel, but also just a lack of awareness of how little support the institutions around me and systems would give towards my body or how little they cared, really. And I think about that a lot when I think, you know, it's like our healthcare systems and stuff like that, right? It's like the health infrastructure around us does not really exist to encourage us to participate in activities like this on a routine basis. You know, in order to play baseball as an adult, you, you kind of have to, I've used this word before, but you have to insist that you will play baseball and say, right. I'm going to do this stuff. I'm going to take care of myself. Let's, let's, let's stop you there, though, because in uh, countries where the state is responsible for right. the health care of every citizen, um, those states tend to adopt a sort of different relationship to uh, recreational sports. Right, right, right. You know, I had the, the good fortune of uh, spending some time in Ireland a few months ago, and um, I took a seat in, in a random pub uh, and was eavesdropping on the conversation next to me, and it was uh, two players from an amateur softball team who were in need of a corner infielder for the next day's tournament they were playing in. Um, nice rip. And uh, I did what any good American would do and, and uh, barged my way into that situation and uh, went and played this eight-hour softball blitz, um, but was shocked to discover that the, uh, the state over there will, will pay for any uh, adult recreational league that you can organize with any sort of legitimacy. They'll buy uniforms and maintain your f a field and, you know, various other sorts of things. They had a big raffle with all these prizes, and it was all in the budget. So wow, 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 wow! Yeah, go figure. To dream, you're middle infielder mostly, right? Yeah. Yeah. What What do you like about middle infield? Um, I love the. Um... Oh. I, I love the, you know, obviously, like, the action being involved in so many plays, but, you know, the strategic shifting. Like, I have, you know, I just have a book on every hitter in the league um, just from seeing so many games. So it, it's fun to put that to work. And when you get it right and you have them positioned perfectly, it's just a great feeling. I don't know. I mean, why is fielding ground balls fun? I, you know, <laughs> it's not it's, it's not really an answerable question, but yeah, you, kinda, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean, you right? You could go off in a lot of different directions there from <laughs> yeah. that one. It's just but, a simple pleasure that, you know, you just... I, I mean, I remember being taught how to do that when I was four years old. So, you yeah. Know. Do you have like a favorite type of baseball play? Yes. Um, I actually got to make it today. Um, the just running back, leaping to catch a little. Mm, like over the sh over dinker pop. Yeah, yeah. Over the shoulder infield catches ranging to, to my left is probably my favorite. I, lo I love turning a, a double play too. That is back in the day. We used to keep a bottle of whiskey behind the pitcher's mound for <laughs> when anybody turned a double player, did anything extraordinary. Everybody involved would have to go take a shot. That reminds me of the, the league's reputation for, you know, hijinks in general. Ben had from the Nashville Dollies 
in his episode on the show talked about the time when you threw him a potato in Nashville. I don't think he hit it. No, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, yeah, that was funny. We tried to sneak it in there. Think about that, though. He didn't swing. What the hell? If I see a potato coming in at me, I'm blistering that motherfucker. Yeah. I'm making mashed potatoes all over the pitcher. What are some other PBL traditions? Well, I mean, singing the seventh inning stretch, reading the manifesto before opening day. Oh, the gala. The gala. A tradition that's sort of in hibernation right now. Um, the gala and gala game. Yeah. So normally at the end of a season, we have somewhat of a formal event, nighttime party at a local drinking establishment and uh awards are given out and speeches are given do they give out weird awards or a lot of weird wars splishy splashy award is a good one for like the the wettest catch you know like playing in swamplands a lot of a lot of times big puddles and mud on the field um you know that kind of shit oh and then after the championship game every year we uh host the gala game where pickup baseball is played uh, and formal wear required Formal wear. Formal wear. Uh, you got to run the bases backwards. Um, the left fielder at any given point in time is the umpire on all calls, including balls and strikes. Okay. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Sometimes there's a bonfire full of broken bats out near second base during that game. I'm really stuck on this left fielder calling balls and strikes. That's yeah. wild. <laughs> How does that go? Oh, it's, a, you know, I don't know if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever played baseball or been around baseball players. But it's not uncommon for a left fielder to chime in with his or her opinion on whatever umpire makes any kind of call. So we thought we would just uh, do a little two birds, one stone, just make the left fielder the umpire. I've, <laughs> I've never heard of this. this oh, it's great. Wait, yeah, really. <laughs> the, but is the left foot, is this really true the left fielder more than the center fielder or the right fielder? You think the left fielder has a... The... Have you met? I mean, come on. I mean, tell... I know every, think, everybody think has about an all opinion. the left fielders you've ever known. I'm a left fielder. <laughs> okay. You want me to look inward? <laughs> never. Absolutely never. You also have some rules that are like standard rules that are different than your traditional, like your, what people oh, tradi- yeah. like think of as your traditional baseball rules that facilitate the game in a certain way. Yeah. We do not call balks. There's, you cannot balk. There's nothing you can do in the PBO that will get a balk called on you. Yeah. Except for one exception. And that is... Trying to do a hidden ball trick mm. while your pitcher is towing the rubber. Mm. We will not call the ball, but we will call the ball dead just because hidden ball tricks, particularly in the early days of the league, uh, got a little out of hand. That is a favorite play of uh, many, many people in this league. Um, yeah, nope. You can't steal first or you can't steal second or third in this league. Mm-hmm. Um, except, except on the defense initiating play on a pickoff. Um, you know, that really helps to keep the catcher position a lot more accessible um, and to make the game a little cleaner around the edges, you know. Mm-hmm. You, hate, you hate a situation where a walk turns into a triple automatically. Mm-hmm. Um, and we love we love turning double plays, so. Keep that runner keep on that, first. Keep that runner on first. Yeah. It's more fun that way. High fly ball to left field. He's under it. Fires home. <laughs> Dean will take that RBI. Yes, he will. <laughs> the RBI has been taken. We got to get a score update around yeah, here. Yeah, we don't know what the score is, but there were RBIs. No stealing, no balking, but you can steal you can home. Ste- you can steal home, and 
if there's a pickoff play or if someone tries to steal home, the runners on first or second can advance at their own risk after mm -hmm. tagging up. So if they were leading, they have to go back. If they were leading, they have to go back. And that's to keep the leads down, too. Uh, you really have to accomplish that full 90 feet if you're going to yeah. do a thievery. Yeah, what other... Do we have any other funny rules? I mean, the umpiring situation is ridiculous in the league. And it's, <laughs> and it's one of my favorite parts about it. Uh, what it can you tell, tell me about yeah, it? Yeah, every team is responsible for umpiring um, other teams' games. Yeah. So if you... On any given Sunday, you, um, you will have to ump the game before you or after you. Um, and the absolute required amateurnish of uh, our umpiring is, is a, yeah. not, not a bug, but quite a feature of the league in terms yeah. of like the seriousness. And that's an evolution of the rule because it wasn't always the other teams. I read this. I read the history of the PPL on the website. Oh. And so I know... <laughs> I have not, so yeah. <laughs> I might disagree with some of it. It says, it says on there that there was a certain point in the league history where you switched from... It used to be self-ump. Um, yes. ...to other teams umping. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And that was just... Uh, I mean, self-umping is really annoying. And then you're getting a different strike zone for every half inning, and you'd have to, oh, like, I'm on deck, shit, somebody come up for me, you know? Like, that shit is just... Oh, yeah, yeah, Just yeah. that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to have three teams represented on every field at all times, you know, mm -hmm. again, it's just about the communal nature of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. It encourages showing up early. Exactly. Well, yeah. And, and it encourages it's also, a little bit of staying afterwards too. Exactly. I like it. It's this, it's the social, social democratic impulse of like, like every, you know, nothing without labor. Like you gotta, you gotta put in if you're taken out, you yeah. know, and you gotta come help help the teams who help you as well. It's, yeah. it's kind of nice to... That's the same thing with like the field work days and all that. What do you like most about being a commissioner of oh, a I despise local it. baseball? I hate it. <laughs> Literally. Okay. Let me, I, let me ask you a different question then. Okay. Why do you care about the league? Oh, for the, you know, for the same reasons we... You know, I think it's a really special thing. I think it's rare. I don't think people should take it for granted that there's just going to be like this guarantee of like mm -hmm. fun and, you know, years of of baseball and camaraderie, you know? And, yeah. um, the, the other thing is like talking earlier about like all the different levers in the society. Well, all those same levers are also pushing on the league at all mm -hmm, times mm -hmm. to try to make it less fun and more shitty and more commercial and more professional mm -hmm. and more competitive. Yeah. And, um, and more suburban. And I was just, I sort of looked into the future and imagined that reality and thought I would rather, uh, deal with the bureaucracy and the, politics and the infighting than see the league um, yeah. just turn into another pile of dog shit like every other fucking thing I've ever ever been a part of <laughs> so you know, you know how it goes well you know you're doing you're doing the good work then I mean the work that, that every, it's, we all need I, I appreciate you saying that it's always a point of controversy there's plenty of people in the league who might say the exact who w might have said the same exact thing about me being in this position because they have a completely different vision for the league. And yeah, um, so, you know, I wouldn't want to be too confident in that, but. What, what is your, I mean, when you think about, because you said, you know, you were sort of thinking about the future when you put yourself in this role or volunteered, what was the future that you wanted? Uh, well, I mean, it's just a maintenance of the present, really. I mean, I, the mission statement. I guess I that's think a good says, way of putting it says everything 
that it needs to say about what the league exists to do, you know? Yeah. And it's just, I mean, it's just like the willingness to like be thoughtful. Don't just observe a problem, devise a solution and then not be considerate of the eight different consequences down the line that that one solution could start bringing you, you know, Are particularly there, when like with the money question and all the opportunities for local businesses to, you know, wriggle their way into involvement with the league. Yeah. Cause it, I mean, it's just like, it's just kind of take it for granted that that's the way you do recreational sports is yeah. through the sponsorship of local businesses. And mm-hmm. it's always been a big thing for me to like um, avoid that as much yeah. as we can. I really like the way you put that. The main, it's more the maintenance of the present, not the future of the league. There's this sort of assumption in our society that you have to, and I even did it when I asked you that question, like that you have to go somewhere or, or there's some other place to be that you aren't right now in the future. When you said that maintenance of the present, it's like, yeah, there's there's a way yeah. to move through your life in relationship to anything. Yeah, I'm not ambitious. Like yeah. I mean, I think that's the other thing. I think we could, our, I think our society could use a lot less ambition, yeah. frankly. <laughs> I hope that I can come back here in years and and it'll be you know just the riot and the giants kicking it in the same dugout yelling, at, that be nice? yelling at the umpires and not, <laughs> not anything else yelling at themselves more than the yelling umpire, at themselves <laughs> trying to figure Is it that out game who won that was that was they, game. Can't, they can't line up for a good game because they're all oh it's just a, a mosh pit of uh, love and affection right now Thank you for recording with me a second time. Oh, more than happy to. Yeah. It was kind of, it was a really fun game between the riot and the giants. Chaotic. I don't know how much oh, you remember yeah. of it. There were a lot <laughs> of like weird hops in the outfield, a lot of action on the base paths. Both teams were in the same dugout. There was the collective mutual shouting at the umpire. I wanted to touch base again because we had a great conversation there, but we glanced on all these subjects that I had this urge to go a bit deeper on with you, you know, about, about baseball, about local baseball. And so I figured, you know, let's just catch up and it's kind of a, a time in the season for y'all too you're kind of yeah. you're, you're near the end and so yeah first before we get into that deep stuff that deep baseball shit how's the season gone well that's funny i mean you mentioning the bad hops in the outfield i remember that we basically recorded at the end of like a two and a half month drought where it just did not rain for months that's not supposed to happen in new orleans and I, the field was just getting goofy by how like crisp it was you know which is just a very unusual playing surface for us but i'm happy to report that it has started raining again and we just had our uh, championship game rained out this sunday so we're doing that uh this coming sunday and yeah no things are going really well the hops are back to normal i guess is is, is my main thing to report yeah there will be a winner of the splishy splashy award no we just had our gala and there was no there was no notable splishy splashy or no notable fall on the base pass. There's like a rough and tumble award for the person who like falls down in the most hilarious situation. Maybe I didn't watch enough games this year, but I can't recall either of those things happening this season, which I think is it's a credit to Larry Gilbert Stadium where we've been playing, where, you know, Perry Rome was much more susceptible to those, those sorts of events. <laughs> so you had the gala. Isn't there another special game that y'all play around Mardi Gras? We do the Endymion game or the Endymion protest game. (laughs) Adam Cronenberg, who founded the league, really has some issues with the way parking gets around his house. The Saturday before Mardi Gras, there's a big parade that goes through his neighborhood. Sort of near the parade zone, we hold like a giant pickup game where everybody can, you know, come wear a Mardi Gras costume and play some ridiculous baseball. So in the the time between our conversations, as I was listening to the first part, so the people have background, I sent you a rambling email about baseball 
baseball and and what even is baseball anyway and what even is it yeah is it a capital b or a lowercase b yeah is it a capital b or a lowercase b that's what that's one really good way of putting the question you had said that you believe it's an artifact of human culture how is baseball like a film or like art well to say a thing like that it's like like i, I mean it's obvious that it's just and no one would disagree with that but my point basically is like baseball or I guess sports in general, it's a cultural universal. It's sort of inherent to the human condition. Something in our DNA like inspires us to create these games, play these sports, and to organize in a way to do that. Basically, every human society in what I would think, you know, human history has these as a feature. We happen to live in a time where our economy is organized around these like massive market-based like corporate institutions that like to take credit for everything that has ever come before them, you know, or to deny its existence, you know? So, I mean, it just for me to say that it's just like, this is a thing that has always been here. And the way we interact with it is so controlled and defined by these institutions, which are 100, 150 years old and aren't going to be here forever. And that's something that we need to consider when we decide how to create these games and interact with them. I think it's important for us to recognize that before we're members of a capitalist society, we're also human beings that are like more, much more deeply connected to our ancient traditions than we are to this like modern economy. To me, it sounds like when you look at something like baseball through this lens of it being this artifact of human culture, you're really expanding the viewing area that you're looking at, really. I mean, you're 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 going into like scales of centuries, you know. Well, no, exactly, because I what I find in my daily life when I basically talk to anybody about anything, like most people's frame of reference for anything starts at 1950. It's like mm -hmm. for, like in America, that's when the world began. Pick any topic, you you can see that people orient themselves, you know, with that as their mm -hmm. frame of reference. And yeah. I just find that. The older I get, the longer back I want to go when I yeah. position myself and, and how I interact with the society, you know? Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of how much I, this is an aside, but I loved this podcast lore for a while because it would go back into things that people used to believe in like right. eras way, you know, way prior to 1950s. And you'd, you'd see these kind of movements and like social movements and things that were popular and things that were not. And you're like, whoa, like that is some wild, crazy shit. <laughs> it really makes you question a lot of the stuff, you know, it makes you skeptical about things that you see in front of you today. Cause you're like, what are the, what are the things right now that everyone is is just accepting as like, yeah, you know, this is stuff we do that in like a hundred years, 200 years, someone's going to look back on it. Yes. You know, no, that's so, you know what that reminds me? Like, the, I think really the first time I like started to think like that was in high school when I discovered the dead Kennedys in their song, Jocko Rama, which is like about American sports culture. There's the lyric when archeologists dig this up, they'll either laugh or cry. And like, <laughs> I remember like being 14 and hearing just like my mind, like just exploding right in front of me. Like, yeah. As just a, you know, a different way of, you know, orienting yourself in the society. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, actually, it, when you asked, when you sent me that email, it, it reminded me of this interview that I heard Ian Mackay give years ago. They were asking him about his relationship to music and that's connection to like the mainstream music industry and all these corporate record labels and whatever. I can maybe try to reconstruct the metaphor, but he used water as like a, a parallel to music in the sense of like, uh, this is just a thing that people have always taken for granted as like just a part of their existence for free, everybody drinks water, it's just the thing you do. And then like, at a certain point in time, someone came along and figured out that you could put water in a plastic or a glass bottle and sell it to people. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, like that technological development is like super convenient and it makes our lives a lot easier in all these different ways. But like, there's now this economic institution 
of which like very powerful people at the top of it have a direct financial incentive in creating a state that like uh, has an, a bureaucracy responsible for like divvying up water rights and who gets to own what water. And then that same, you know, power structure has a financial incentive in damming up the rivers and preventing you from having that free source of water that you previously had. And then even beyond that, that same power center now has a financial incentive in like poisoning whatever water they can't get their hands on to force you to like, you know, strengthen their position or whatever. And that I've see no difference between that and major league baseball's relationship to the game of baseball. They take credit for it. It's theirs. And they, and they have every financial incentive to like remove your access to baseball in every other place, except them, you know? Yeah. And so like, and I've, I've every problem that I have with like the American sports culture, like from youth sports all the way yeah. up seems directly related to that basic economic relationship. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, it, it, it reminds me of that question that you asked me when we were chatting about whether I thought that my negative recollections of youth sports were this state of nature problem or were they the fault mm. of the institutions? And right. I think at the time I'd kind of stumbled over the answer, but I thought about it more. And, and, I, and I really, I knew this answer then. I, th I think the game was chaotic and there were other, not, was, a lot of things, yeah. things going on. And so yeah. it was hard it to It was like 95 yeah. degrees yeah. on beating on Yeah. 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 Um, but you know, when I heard it the second time, this happens to me a lot when I'm when I'm listening to the recordings later. I heard it the second time, and I was like, "Well, yeah. I mean, I I do not think it is a state of nature problem. I think that when you're young, it's hard to see that vision. Like, it's hard to see that that wide a view of the world, right? So you're just kind of in it, right? You're having a very narrow experience of what's possible in your sporting, athletic, leisure life, and that's been predetermined in a way. And I was, you know, I talked about this with uh, my teammate Doc Bowers. Who, who studies some of the stuff at, at UT, you know, all those systems are designed to do what you're talking about. And they're also designed to produce outputs like Aaron Judge and Jacob deGrom, like extreme examples of what the human body is capable of doing. And so that leaves out this entire middle space that's just really fun and necessary for our, our enjoyment of life. And that also just seems at times like really profoundly absent because of the things you're talking about, because there are forces that don't really want it to be present fully so that you go to the bottle, you go back to the bottle source right. of it. The function of youth sports, I mean, in terms of MLB's interest is like, they need people like Aaron Judge to have people to play against at that age level. Mm -hmm. And then as you know, as soon as there's like that first level of filtering, everybody yeah. else who's no longer useful to that project gets forced out. Yeah. And you go step by step by step all the way up to the minor leagues where you have these, you know, minor leagues, which every openly people can talk about, like these are there to develop major league talent and the rest of the community and economy and culture mm -hmm. around minor league baseball is you know, is of no interest to major league baseball, which, you know, and you could see over the past few years, like how much they've tried to like, shrink that industry you know to force people who live in minor league towns to purchase mlb tv subscriptions you know mm -hmm. yeah, yeah 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 it's just super insidious but to see that same those same like pressures like operating for the you know, 11 year old kids it's just you know it just it, i don't know it just made makes so much sense to me as to like like i even like i you know i was fortunate enough in my town where i grew up we had an independent youth baseball league called Cory league where like every town in my little area had its own team or multiple teams our giant regional championship i had to travel you know 35 minutes to get to once a year you know and my town's Cory league has completely folded I, most of them around the area too have folded I, I feel like the bigger national travel ball 
um, institutions have really like crushed like what would what was like just a, such a purely, you know, just a fun thing for me as a kid, you know. So that the league isn't around anymore. I think there's still like the bigger towns still have yeah. are still able to support teams, but my the, the team I played on in my age group there were like three or four teams because they had enough kids for that, and the the league in my town is completely full. Mm. Yeah, I, I think COVID really like was the finishing blow on a lot of that. Um, right, 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 right. But there's, I mean, there's so many other social issues in that part of the country that also contributes to that. So I'm not just. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah, on. yeah. Yeah. We don't, we don't, we're not going to, we can't point at the cause. This, there is no single cause of any of this. Right. These are just, right. these are trends over time. Uh, I mean, there was an article in the New York Times recently about the difficulty that parents face in choosing youth leagues and and this scarcity that exists right now for that like middle ground of something between not doing anything at all and enrolling your child in a program that you know is too extreme for what you want them to be involved in and yeah is not is not uh youth sports for human beings i guess as you might say well you know you know you know think you know everybody always makes a big deal that jack flaherty and Lucas Giolito and Max Fried were all on the same high school team. Like it was some freak of like, <laughs> like everybody in that, you know, it's like that, that little uh, school district or whatever ended up being like a, yeah, yeah. an incredible baseball. No, it's like that like school was built to like train people. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So it, yeah, it's not, it's not romantic. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> There's nothing like, it's like, Oh yeah, look, it's the natural, natural way. Baseball just emerges. I remember when I was, seven years old mark mcguire showed up in st louis and uh i instantly fell in love with this man like so deeply proud of him Mm -hmm. you know for you know for 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 playing for the cardinals and like uh the day my dad explained to me that mark mcguire grew up in california and still lived in california was just like heartbreaking to me like Mm -hmm. i thought i thought you had to be from st louis to play for the cardinals and like that's where like even the notion of civic pride at that age like could even resonate with me yeah, you know? yeah. and That's then great. when i it was i discovered it was a charade that people were just paid to play for the cardinals and there was no like loyalty in it in it you know it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. a really disheartening experience for me as a child to discover yeah that. yeah well it's like making me think of like all the the fan reactions to Degrom getting traded to texas i mean new yorkers are just like losing their minds over it mets fans love that though come yeah, on I, like yeah. it, <laughs> You guys thrive on misery. Yes, this is true. This is true. Back to the PBL and and the stuff that y'all have going on there in New Orleans, which is very intentionally run in a way to be baseball for human beings. I was hoping you could talk a little bit more about like what is that in the current space? Like what does doing baseball for human beings mean right now? That's a really interesting time for you to ask that question because basically since you left, there's been like a huge amount of discussion and argument about what that means going forward. I mean, the league has like a serious fundamental problem in that we live in society. Like we are openly trying to do something that is different than, you know, every other baseball league that I've ever, you know, had the experience of interacting with. But at the same time, we also are super open to anybody off the street who wants to come and join our baseball league. So we're inheriting all these players whose only cultural input is like, you know, American post-industrial consumer society and then expecting them to enthusiastically participate in this like social democratic, you know, very ideological, like, kind of, and also like 
silly and chaotic baseball league. So the, the big issue is like, well, how do we take people off the street and then bring them along with the project, you know, we're doing here. And I struggle with that like every week, you know, if anyone has any ideas, you know. Well, you know, I, th- I mean, I think about it a lot. Well, I guess the, the one thing we have going for us is like, and this is like an issue that's really contentious right now is like we do have playoffs and we do have exclusionary playoffs where only half the teams in the league make it into the playoffs. And to facilitate that, exclusion we have standings which are generally based on how many wins and losses you have and that introduces a pressure of like winning more games becoming more competitive arguing more with umpires and recruiting more talented players which are all and these are all things that like work against like the basic mission statement of the league where we're like baseball is for everybody and everybody deserves to come play here even if you've never played before i mean my my view is like things that this league used to take for granted as like cultural understandings based on you know that came from like the people who were all friends with each other when we started it we need to get more creative about actually like encoding those cultural processes into the formal rule book the standings being the leverage we have to like enforce those rules so if there'd be a way to like sort of construct a a league where the exclusion is not based on like your baseball talent but your participation in this project and how well you do that like that would be the dream for me but once you actually get into like the nuts and bolts of of creating that it gets really difficult i mean this is something i think about a lot in terms of like we have a, a regular wednesday like baseball gathering that on my you know my team in the in the park and stuff like this comes out up there all the time for me because there's people who are there a lot and then there's sometimes people who just kind of roll in you know and show up and so there's this really awesome interaction that happens that's kind of chaotic and, and interesting and brings in kind of new dynamics. And the idea is to be like completely open and like have this kind of completely open space ideologically. But also there's an active dynamic of trying to also like, as you've kind of said, like maintain the present. Right. That's the phrase that I remember you saying that that resonated with me a lot. And every new person brings in a new set of understandings, views of the world, everything. I mean, like you said, they've, they, everybody lives in this world too. How do you be a space that can absorb that because you feel that it's important to have spaces like that without risking the integrity of the space? You know, my, my personal take, I'm like super influenced by, you know, the more left-wing side of like Catholic ideology on questions like this. If you're somewhat enlightened on this topic and like are passionate about it, it's our responsibility to do the work and accept the burden right. of, uh, dealing with people who aren't, who don't agree with you and aren't on board with the project, you know, like I've never kicked anybody out of the league, even though like there's been plenty of times where like people have made pretty good arguments for doing such a thing, you know, cause like the best thing the league can do in my opinion is like take one person who like thinks that we're, you know, whatever, right. Whatever word you want to use to describe like the dumb bullshit we do or whatever, convince them over time right. to like become a part of what we're doing. And that's the end all be all. It's not so much about creating a space where I get to come have fun whenever I want. I'm actually interested in like participating in the sort of moral development of the society we live in, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, accepting responsibility to like help bring people along and myself because I have changed and become a better person through all of my experiences with the league I'd like to think too so that's what I'm most interested in is like keeping that that process of transformation open and that is like a middle ground of not kicking people out not preventing certain people from playing with us but also like not letting them like take over (laughs) you know and like ruining like 
the the good thing we do have, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's such a fine line. Well, and it and it is a really good thing. And I know you mentioned you said you know now is a very pivotal time or a critical time or there's conversations happening. But there's also a lot of aspects of the league that have been seem like they've been around for a while. Features that support that. I know one of them mm-hmm. is self umpiring or the way you all do yeah, umpiring yeah. really yeah. does support these kinds of aspects. So I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit more. Like how does umpiring or the way you do umpiring help reinforce some of those mission values? Um, and what are some of the other things that y'all do? Sure. When the league started, it was self-umpiring in the way of like, you had to go ump for your own team. Whoever was last out would go out behind the mound and call balls and strikes. So it was a different umpire every half inning. And in terms of gameplay, one, it's like annoying to like every inning have to find like who's supposed to be out there umping. Having a different strike zone every half inning is also an annoying thing. In, in trying to find like a better and smoother way, the team that either plays before or after because all our games are back-to-back, members of teams who are playing before or after, and it all gets designated on the schedule, have to come and umpire for the other teams in a game they're not even playing, which makes the game go a lot better to have one or two designated umpires all game. One th- one negative probably is it probably encourages people to complain at an umpire where like if the culture was purely based around umpiring your own team, I feel like everybody would kind of err on the side of punishing their own team because they're worried about bias. But n- now that it's a third party, uh, you have a designated person to receive your abuse, you know, which I think is yeah. awful. But the fact that they're not hired you know, we're not like externalizing that. How it's supposed to work is everybody on your team should be responsible for coming out to ump some of your games at some point. And so, you know, maybe the people who like to yell at umpires actually have to go out there and receive that same treatment sometimes, and it might soften their own approach. And also it's it's like a base. I, I love the idea of like, this is not a thing that you can just buy your way into. We could raise dues and hire professional umpires and have it not even be a thing to worry about. But I think it's like detrimental to the to like the health of our community that every annoyance or like responsibility in your life at some level you could just you know hire out. So you end up with yeah all this labor basically gets distributed to people based on their class status, you know. And I'm just I'm not interested in like the baseball league replicating that, you know, thing. Wash your own dishes is like a pretty <laughs> yeah, fundamental yeah, yeah. rule of just basic moral life, I think. I was thinking about it because we recently had a had a game, a kind of chaotic game, uh logistically where we'd like rain and we didn't know if we were gonna play and stuff, and we usually do hire out umpires here but for this particular game different people from teams were umpiring and it was a completely different vibe how so i don't know the energy was just different there was a lot there was actually more there was more chatter with the umpire i would say much more chatter <laughs> with the umpire when when someone from our team was umpiring we were giving him or them so much shit oh yeah we were, yeah, yeah we yeah, give yeah. them so much shit and and in a fun way like not you know right, we totally, weren't totally. you know we weren't like really, nobody really cared. Like if you really cared about it, then that you're kind of missing the point. Yeah, it changed the entire. It changed all the chatter around. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of the game sounded different and uh, just kind of affected the mood overall in a, in a good way. I felt like yeah, yeah. So when I first implemented the umpiring system, a lot of teams were like blowing off their umpire duties and just not showing up. Not a lot, a couple. Then then I implemented the system where if, okay, if you don't show up to umpire you get like an extra loss tacked onto your standings and we did that like six seasons ago and two teams have maybe missed umpire duty since okay. then wow. and now it's to a point most people i don't think think about the loss you know if they don't show up to umpire but i think it's just like a dignity thing or like a like no one wants to be seen as the team that like doesn't show up to do mm-hmm. their umpire duty even though like the impetus for developing that culture was this competitive playoff standing thing you know, once it goes on long enough, it just became internalized as a sort of responsibility of participation in the league. That to me, I think, is 
has been like really successful. And I'm kind of interested in exploring more ways of maneuvering that sort of uh, yeah. mechanism, you know? Well, yeah. And it's interesting, the effect of something like that over a period, a longer period of time right? right. and how it changes over time. There's a group of people in the league that you talk to about this stuff a lot or will discuss oh, yeah, these yeah. things with, right? Like there, there is like each team has one vote on major issues. So like anything big, like we do vote on, but I don't like uh, pursuing things where it's going to be contentious. Like I usually like to have developed some kind of consensus before I even bring an issue to vote on, you know, most of the work is like behind the scenes, right, talking right, to right. people, convincing them that this is the way to go before like, you know, bringing a vote. We've had some votes in the league where it was like five to four or, you know, six to three. And I just, even though I was like, in the affirmative in those cases, I've just like kind of abandoned it just because the idea of forcing people to go along with a thing that everybody's not excited about is mm -hmm. just going to create bigger problems in the yeah. long run and then bring a bad will, you know? I remember we had a discussion, I don't know if this went anywhere, where you were considering the implications, pros and cons of, of rules around strikeout uh, numbers. This is... Yeah, there's a lot of people I haven't talked to about this, but I've been like probing people in the league. Yeah, that's so this is an example of like one of those things where it's like, how how do we start rewarding good cultural practices in the league that are sort of removed from like your baseball talent level? Mm -hmm. And uh, a big problem we have because we explicitly don't cut anybody based on talent. And that goes in both directions, right? Mm -hmm. No, how good you are or how bad you are. People who were like maybe really good in high school or like played some college ball will show up. It's very clear that all you have to, if you just pump like an 80 mile an hour fastball right down the middle, 80% of this league is just going to swing and miss. A couple guys in the league will just go up there and just like strike out, strike out, strike out, strike out. And then like be very proud of themselves that they struck out like a 37 year old bartender who was working until 3am the night before, you know, I'm happy that like the league can provide a space for them to like have that moment of validation. But from sitting in the stands or from sitting in either dugout watching that happen, like it fucking sucks. Like the game of baseball evaporates almost immediately once that person takes the mound. The rules of baseball are so arbitrary. Height of the pitcher's mound, how far away you are, you know, how many strikes you get, all this, how big the strike zone is. They're all like perfectly tailored to like produce a certain kind of game. And when you have someone who's just on such a different physical level, the game itself is what evaporates and all those rules become broken. And it sucks to play defense behind those people because you just stand there watching them strike out and walk people all day. And it fucking sucks to like to hit against them because you don't even have a chance for most of the people. And you see like you see people who come to the league without much experience, haven't played since the league. They're so excited about it. And just to, to make people have, have the feeling that they let their team down because they don't know how to handle an 80 mile an hour fastball. It's just such a bummer. So I'm kind of toying around with this idea of imposing a strikeout limit, an optional strikeout limit that the opposing manager can use. If your pitcher in any appearance in a game strikes out this many people, the number I think would be most effective is like seven at this point. If you get, if you record seven strikeouts, the opposing manager has the option of just pulling you immediately from the game and you have to bring in a new pitcher. It could radically change the approach of some of these guys, especially like if they show up to the park wanting to go six innings that day. For example, let's say they get the leadoff hitter 0-2 in the first inning. They're going to have to think hard like, is this where I want to record a strikeout? And if not, they're going to have to change their approach and make sure that this batter puts the ball in play if they want to stay in the game as long as they want to. And then it becomes a thing where like maybe you save your strikeouts for big situations with big hitters at the plate and runners on instead of just like trying to blow away the bottom of the order. And sometimes our batting orders are like 16, 17 people long. And in the bottom half is just like guaranteed outs against guys like that. Instead of just giving them three easy innings of striking out the side like 
forcing them to adjust their approach if they want to stay in the game to like let everybody have a chance to participate including their own defense, you know? Sucks to play right field for a guy like that because you just stand there in the heat well, and including, all day. Including them too, right? They get to play longer if they don't, if they hit their strikeout limit, they know if they no longer get the play. Well, yeah. Potentially, well, potentially. Well, right now, their approach is like, fuck it, let's see if I can get 20 strikeouts today. Right, right, right. You right. know? And right. their manager who like loves watching it, you know, because they, they get vicariously get to live through this other person no matter how little they had to do with it it's just a bummer for like what we're trying to do here and it sucks because a lot of people like our league because it's cheap and because it's fun and for people who enjoy what we do without wanting to sacrifice anything on their end to participate in it it just it's it's just a bummer so part of me is wondering if that rule would like really help to kind of address that yeah, issue. It might. I, I remember th- I thought about it a lot on the drive back to Austin. Like, what are all the impacts of it, I guess? Because you have to kind of think through, like, what are all the scenarios that start to develop once you've sort of put that limitation in place? Right. So we also have this other problem in the league where teams that are very welcoming to people who haven't played before and are very fun to play with have this recurring, you know, problem in the sense of like, maybe it will, our roster will be 20 people long on a nice day, you know, 17 people will show up and everybody has to bat and you're going to get two at bats that day. It makes it a lot harder to win if you're playing against a team where it's just like 10 people and they're all good hitters show up and you can't force people to show up for the other side. So it just, you know, it becomes a sort of unbalanced thing. But if all of a sudden there's strikeout limit and the team that has 17 people show up have like eight people at the bottom of the order who love to strike out all the time (laughs) you know all of a sudden like that that's actually a strength now now all of a sudden that's a strength like that you you by striking out are not just letting your team down that counts as like a grindy at bat trying to get the the good pitcher out of the game you know what i mean and it's like (laughs) and there's this other problem where like we play once a week so if you're a great pitcher who loves to throw eight scoreless innings every week every game against your team all season is the same. It's facing you for eight innings, you know? But with a rule like seven strikeouts, like you would have to have like four excellent pitchers to like bridge the gap if you want to have that kind of game. So I think it would also, I think like the most fun games for me are like the B squad days when like all the best players are like out of town or like at a wedding or something and you have to like go pull in these guys who like never pitch put them on the mound for a couple innings here or there, see what happens. I'd like to see more of that too, you know? Yeah, I always thought it'd be fun to to draft positions. You just pick out of a hat where you're playing that day. So you just end up where you end up. Yeah, there are ways, you know, our pickup games tend to function like that. Uh, there's the one team, Chris Street Riot, used to, in the earlier days of that team, like Adam would just be like, all right, everybody go run to whatever position you want to play. And they would all go out there. And that's, you know, that's fun. And here's the other thing too, is like, for me personally, like I like competition and I like things to be competitive in the sense of there's something at stake. You're not sure what's going to happen. You have to like try. On my team, like I go to the ballpark telling myself the best thing that can happen for me today is we win by one run. I don't want to, I don't, I, I would rather lose by one run than win by 12. For me, like people who dominate people physically and are way overmatched, to me, that's not competitive. There's no battle there. So any way that we could facilitate keeping things interesting and never knowing what's going to happen when you go to the ballpark that day to me is like, is sort of the the competitive ideal. And there are some people in our league who are on the completely on the opposite side where they think, I don't care about competition. I don't even know the score. 
when I'm playing. They just like the physical activity side of it and like the stupidity. And I love having those people in our league. I think there's there's plenty of room for them too. But I don't think most people want to want to be a part of like something so disorganized or chaotic. You know, it's not it's not very fun to also watch to play behind a pitcher who like can't find the strike zone and they walk six guys in a row too. You know, yeah. so there yes. has to be some yeah. sort of like structural like uh bounds on the game too it goes both ways the if you go too far in either direction the baseball parts of it go away exactly it becomes a very narrow experience of just you know one person either intentionally or unintentionally taking up all of the play so yeah that that really is my problem like with people who are like too good or too competitive, they actually degrade the quality of baseball. And I don't think the solution to that is making the league more exclusive to people of a certain talent level, you know? I do see people who are talented participating in these spaces in ways that work. Like I, I have yeah. found that there are folks that totally. like either either they, they show up just ready like that, you know, for whatever reason, because of the life they've lived or, you know, it happens over time, but it does happen. And I think to your point, right, like what you were saying, if it happens for one person, then the league is doing its job and is right. and, and is working. So well, and I've seen it I've seen it happen more than once in this league. And, yeah. And like that's yeah, I like that. When we were in the stands, I'd asked if you had any good classic PBL stories that you could share and we we just blanked on it all but then later that night uh the story of the flood came up or like oh John yeah or something yeah and yeah. I was wondering if if you could tell tell that story because I remember it was yeah. really funny I was blanking just because like I mean I'm one my memory is dog shit but I mean they, yeah there are great stories that happen all the time but no John uh John uh Johnny Nochil who is like a saint in our league an incredible baseball player but he uh you know, he go he like goes to the field on weekdays, like by himself quietly just to like work on the field by himself because he cares about it, you know, and just doesn't tell nobody, doesn't bother nobody about it, just like goes and does the work. And <laughs> one season he was going out and he was like hosing the field down to like drag the dirt and get it level. And uh, the day before the game, he went out there and then he forgot to turn the hose off. They showed up at the field the next morning and the infield was just a fucking lake. <laughs> and then uh, it, would, no, it, it, was, it was great because like there were two teams worth of baseball people there and we had like a little manual water pump and like four buckets. And we all went out there and we were just for like an hour pumping all this water off the infield. That field is just like a bowl and the water will just sit there. It's below sea level. So, yeah, I mean, it was like it was hilarious and annoying. But I actually think I mean, from from my perspective, like the fact that we have a league that is so based around all this volunteer labor to me that really helps bring people together so it, i think it ended up being like a net positive thing of like everybody out there instead of playing baseball we're all working on the field players from both teams plus the umpires who were supposed to be there that day uh, and probably some spectators too were out there helping yeah. so it, it just ended up being a great morning to me but no that's that we i think we brought that up because john had this idea of um, establishing a pbl hall of fame but instead of like on your plaque being your baseball achievements, just like everybody has like a defining PBL moment, completely unrelated to how yeah. well they can play baseball. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that would be his. Yeah. Yeah, he'd, be, he'd be in the Hall of Fame for that. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. I love that idea. Have a have a Hall of Fame with with absolutely no yeah no information <laughs> about baseball in it. It's just like what is you know what is your Hall of Fame thing for your time in the league? I think it's perfect. Right. Well. I want to thank you for chatting with me again. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for talking to me. It's always really fun to talk baseball with you. Typically, this is where you would ask, well, what's your prediction for the championship game? But I'm not going to ask that because it doesn't matter who wins the championship game. It doesn't fucking matter. Listen, people, it doesn't. Get over it. Thanks, Nick, for coming on the show. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about the PBL 
by heading to their website, peoplesbaseball.com, or following at PBL New Orleans on Instagram. Likewise, you can keep up with me by giving at Sandlot Social Club Podcast a follow. Hopefully, you have a sense now of what baseball for human beings means, but if you're still furrowing your brow, don't worry. It's possible we just needed a little more time. So it's just funny. It's like, oh, baseball is for human beings. Like, like I know I've said that, but hearing it again, I'm like, oh, that's a meaning. That's a meaningless phrase. Like, why would I say a thing? Because <laughs> it takes like an hour to explain. What it is.